Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, Since next week is Christmas, that means that today is our final installment of the series that we've been in for the last 11 weeks called By Faith, the sequel. Insert the morning awe. Yes. Uh, How many of you enjoyed this series thus far? Yeah? Okay. Um, Hopefully you've enjoyed this one and the original series that inspired it. I, uh, I was doing the math this week. We did 12 weeks in the beginning of the year, 12 at the end of the year after today, which means that for 24 weeks, we have been talking about faith here. Uh, 24 weeks, almost half the year. If you have no faith at this point, I got nothing else to offer, all right? This is all I got. Um, but if you are joining us for the first time this morning, uh, let me catch you up to speed because the rest of us have 23 weeks and a head start uh, for, from you. So basically for the last 11 weeks and back in the beginning of this year, we've been talking about these two words, by faith. Those words come from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which many theologians have called the hall of faith. And it is a story of great men and women who left a legacy as a result of their great exploits for God. Uh, Each one of their stories starts out with these two words, by faith. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice that was more honorable to God. By faith, Abraham went to a place where he did not know. By faith, Noah built a boat. And on and on the stories go. And at the beginning of this year, we looked at their stories in the book of Hebrews in an effort to inspire us to live in like fashion. But even though that series concluded in the spring, as we neared the fall, we could not shake this thought that God was not done with those words and this community. There was more that he wanted us to step into by faith. And so we decided to conclude the year the same way we started it, to revisit these words, only this time we weren't going to look at the book of Hebrews. Instead, we were going to consider the song you just sang a moment ago that that we wrote and released back in September called By Faith. And each week we've been taking lyrics from that song and the corresponding scriptures that inspired them as the basis for our sermons. Uh, Today, we're going to look at that chorus, the anthem you sang just a few moments ago that's repeated three different times. And as much as I would love to sing it for you today, I'm just going to say it, all right? So here's what we sang just a moment ago. It said, all the world was formed at your command. You spoke the word and it was done. All the world, you hold it in your hands. You have all power. I love this line. You can do all things. Someone say amen. That, that passage or that line comes from two different scriptures in the Bible. The first of them is found in the Hebrews 11 narrative that we unpacked at the beginning of the year, although the scripture we're going to look at was not one we covered extensively back then. Uh, the second scripture is found in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. Today, I'd like to look at both of those scriptures before we get too deep into this sermon, because I believe that collectively, they offer us a more comprehensive view of what it looks like to live by faith. So let's go to the word. Genesis chapter one, verse one, back at the beginning, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and it was empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over, excuse me, the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be. And after he said, let there be, the creation story unfolds. There's the animals and the waters and the the boundaries between the waters and the land. There's the the moon and the stars and the sky. I swear, it's all there in the creation story. But then Hebrews chapter 11, the writer, he begins to refer back to Genesis when he says in chapter 11, verse 3, by faith, 
we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see in the natural did not come from anything that can be seen. So, so Genesis tells us that in the beginning, everything was formless and empty before God spoke. And then Hebrews brings clarity to that and kind of a bookend to that concept and says, that which was formless became formed at the command of God. What had no structure, what, what had no clarity was brought into form by the word of God. Today, I wanna look at those two scriptures, if we could, in our remaining time together. And I wanna title the conversation today, Just Give Me Some Space. Just give me some space. Will you turn to somebody next to you, especially if they're sitting a little too close, and will you tell them, just give me some space today. <laughs> yes, the dreaded words of every boyfriend ever, yeah. If a girl tells you that, no, we're just gonna take a break. Don't believe her, just run and find somebody else. Just give me some space. Don't worry, I, I'm not giving girlfriends an idea for their boring relationships right now. That's not what I'm doing. Today, I wanna suggest that those words are actually being uttered by the Holy Spirit to our community today. Give me some space. Just give me some space. But not like your girlfriend would say it in a different way, all right? Let's pray, and we'll get into the word. Ah, Lord, we love you so much, and uh, we thank you for the presence of God that is here among us today. Thank you that you are here to meet with us. As David shared at the beginning of the service, we, we draw near to you and you are faithful to always draw near to us in response. And Lord, I pray that as we go to the text today, as we open up this book that we do every single weekend and we study the scriptures, that you would do what you've promised, that you would use your word to speak to people's hearts, people's minds, and that it would transform the way we think and therefore the way we live. We open up right now to receive from you. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. I wanna start off by, by making a bit of a bold statement in the form of a thesis today. And uh, for those of you who maybe study the word and you've been at this for a while, you might disagree with this statement out of the gate, but just give me a couple of moments to back it up and, and unpack it a little bit. Uh, give me some space and I will do my best to ensure that we all understand what I'm saying. Here, here, here's the statement. I believe that the first five words in the book of Genesis are the most important words in the Bible. In the beginning, God created. I think those five words are the most important words in the Bible. Everything else we read in scripture, it hangs on the truth of those words. If, if we do not believe those five words, it is impossible to believe anything else we read in this book. Before God can be any of the things that he promises to be in scripture, before he can be Jehovah Rapha, your healer, before he can be Jehovah Nisi, your banner, before he can be Jehovah Shalom, your peace. Before he can be, if you came from the Pentecostal church, Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Before he can be any of those things, he must first be creator. If he is not creator, he is not God. He would be a created thing. But in order for him to be God, he must be creator. Only the creator of something can exercise that kind of authority over its creation. Are you following? Okay, let, let me unpack it a little bit better. Um, 
Back in the day, when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Uh, back in the day, when Robin and I were youth pastors for a decade, uh, it was not uncommon for parents to bring their students into my office and ask if I could meet with their kid to try to fix them, which I always thought was a bit of an unfair pressure. I'm like, you spent 16 years screwing this kid up and you want me to fix him in an hour and a half. Come on. But they would send him in. And uh, early on in my tenure as a youth pastor, uh, I remember a, a family bringing their son in to meet with me. Uh, he was having some problems with his purity and with his sexuality, and they wanted me to sit down with him and, and have a conversation, hopefully help him out. So we sit down, and very quickly, he begins to unpack for me the way he's living and why he has no interest in doing what his parents want or what the church wants or what the Bible wants. And he's using very common uh, phrases. You, you've all heard them before, things like, this is my body, and I can do what I want to do with it. And it's my life. And no one should get to tell me how I'm going to live my life. I'm my own man. It's my own destiny. And you know, all the stuff. And for the better part of an hour during this session, I'm doing my best to try to reason with this guy through the scriptures. I'm trying to quote Bible verses in hopes that the scriptures would, would align him with the word of God, but it didn't work, which by the way, it never works. Just a little tip from me. If you got someone in your life that wants to live in sin, trying to bash them with scriptures is never going to make them follow Jesus. That's why I don't like the dime store prophet people that stand up on the corners and they yell at all of the passerbys downtown and try to tell them why God's judging them with scriptures. It never works. People wants to live in sin, they're gonna live in sin. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter two, verse four, can't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God was with you? Don't you see that it was his love that led you to a place of repentance? If you wanna see people transformed by God, it's not gonna be by bashing them with this book. It's gonna be by letting love do all of the talking. Love them like Jesus loved them and they will respond in repentance. Love leads people to repentance. That's a free one for you today. But as a youth pastor, I was not versed in the way of love. And so I resorted to another form of communication, which you've all seen me display here, props. I found a prop. And on my desk were some post-it notes. And I thought to myself, I know how I can get through to this kid. So I, I pulled out the post-it notes. I said, all right, bro, this isn't working. So let's, let's, let's have a different conversation. Let's pretend for a moment that you were the creator of post-it notes. Let's pretend you made these. One day you had a an epiphany, a light bulb moment, and you decided, oh my gosh, this is a great invention. And you created post-it notes. Now, as the creator of post-its, you have the right to define how those are to be used. You, you created it so you can say the, the role of a post-it note is to take down a note, put it on the wall, put it on the desk. This is how I'm defining its purpose. It's how I'm gonna market it to, to everybody else out there. As the creator, this is what I'm saying it's going to do. But then let's pretend one day some punk teenager comes along. Again, I wasn't versed in the ways of love. And he says, you know what? I hear what you're saying about that post-it, but I'd like to use it for a different purpose. I don't want to use it to make notes. I want to make clothing out of it. And that teenager just starts putting post-its all over himself. And since we were talking about sex, I made myself a little skirt and kilt out of post-it notes. I won't do that today because it's slightly inappropriate. <laughs> I don't want to make you stumble. Uh, and so I start posting post-it notes all over myself. And, and I say, so suppose this guy goes out and he, he starts walking down the street. Well, the post-its might work for a little while. Uh, he might be able to make it all the way down the block and his little post-it kilt and like, man, this feels pretty good. I look pretty awesome. But eventually the adhesive is going to wear off. Uh, eventually the wind is going to blow 
And those post-its are gonna fall, leaving him exposed. Why? Because he was using something for a purpose other than it was intended for. He, he was using something for his own purposes, even though the creator had already determined it was supposed to be used for something else. And I said, bro, the same thing is true for you. God created you for a purpose. God has a plan for your life. God created you to worship him. He created you to be used for his kingdom. He gave you gifts so that they could be leveraged for the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He has a plan and is good for you. Now you don't have to follow through with that plan. You don't have to be used for his purpose. You can choose to do whatever you want. Yes, you, you can choose to live your life the way you're living it right now. But mark my words, eventually there will come a day where you will find yourself frustrated and exposed because you are using God's creation for something other than it was intended for. Maybe that eventuality isn't until you're standing before Jesus and he says to you, what did you do with the life that I gave you? What did you do with the life I created for you? And the only answer you're gonna give is, well, I was using it for my purpose. And he will say, it wasn't your body. It wasn't your life. It was mine. I'm the one who created you and therefore I have the right to determine how it is to be used. What I was trying to tell this, this student was that the sexuality problem or the pride problem or, or the control problem was not the real problem. It was a deeper issue. That was all fruit. The root was you have a creator problem. You don't believe the first five words of the Bible because if you believe that God created you, then as his creation, you would have no other role but to submit to his authority. Which brings me back to my thesis. The first five words of the Bible are the most important words in the Bible. If you do not believe that God is the creator, then you cannot believe anything else that you read in the scriptures. And as it pertains to our conversation today about faith, I'll say it like this. If you wanna have faith for anything else, you gotta first have faith that God created. He has to be creator. But I wanna expand, expand on that just a little bit in our remaining time together and suggest that not only when it comes to our faith do we need to believe that God is creator, but we also need to believe in the method whereby he created According to the song we sang and affirmed by the scriptures we read, God has one way of creating. He created with a word. He spoke. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, we understand that everything in the universe was formed at the command of God. Genesis 1, in the beginning, the earth was formless and it was empty, but then God spoke. He created with his words. What was formless took form at the word of God. He spoke it into existence. And the reason I am suggesting that we must be convinced of that reality is because ultimately God's method for creation has not changed. The same way he created at the beginning of time is how he creates now. 
The same God who spoke over the formless and empty spaces is the God that speaks things into existence right now. It does not happen by happenstance or by circumstance. It is only one thing that brings about transformation, and it is the word of God. It is his word that brings healing. It is his word that brings peace. It is his word that brings clarity. It is his word that brings restoration. The Bible says that his word never returns void. It always accomplishes what it sets out to do. The word of God is powerful. It says in the Psalms that his voice will split the cedars. It will twist the mighty oaks. It will part the waters. It will calm the storms. One word from the mouth of God will transform any situation, regardless of how dire it looks. His word, it's created by his word. And this is why your enemy, the adversary, mind, the devil, Satan, whatever name you want to call him, is working on overtime to keep you from hearing or believing what God is speaking. He does not want you to hear the voice of God because he knows once you hear God's word, it will transform your realities. God's word cannot help but return what he intends for it to accomplish. And so at his best, he will try to keep you from hearing so that he can keep you from receiving what God has for you. It's been happening since the beginning of time. Go back to the beginning of the Bible. What did he do in the garden? It says that when, when Eve was, was, was talking with the serpent in the garden, the serpent said, did God really say, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? Is that, are you sure? Let's, I, I, why don't you just taste it? Give it a little taste. See what it tastes like. See what happens here. He even tried it on Jesus. He twisted the scriptures on Jesus. Out in the desert after 40 days, he comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, um, are you sure that, that God said that, that you would never be harmed and his angels would be sent out to take care? Why don't you jump down off this ledge and let's see if that's really what God said. If he did it to Jesus, he's gonna do it to you. He will find every way possible to twist and manipulate and keep you from believing and hearing the word of God because he knows that if he wants to keep you from seeing what God wants to see in your life, he has to start by keeping you from hearing what God is speaking over your life. And he does it a lot of different ways, ways that I'm sure you're familiar with. Often he'll use volume to crowd out the word of God the volume of cultural persuasion, the volume of an influential professor or a teacher, the volume of friends or family members that are speaking contradictory words. And you start believing what other people are saying instead of believing what he's speaking. Or, or he'll weaponize waiting. You pray, God, would you heal? Would you restore? Would you bring back? And in that waiting season, when it's longer than you think it should be, he'll start planting those little seeds. Did God really say he was gonna heal you? Did God really say that he was gonna provide for you? Did God really say that he was gonna bring you another child? I mean, after all you've gone through, are you still gonna hold on to that one? He'll even go stoop as low as to twist trauma and make you blame God for something he did. Oh God, if a loving God is gonna make me go through this, maybe I don't want what he has to say over my life. He will stop at nothing to steal, to kill, and destroy everything that God's word wants to accomplish in your life. But as much as I would love to blame the devil for our inability to hear and therefore receive what God is speaking, sadly, I think often we are our own worst enemies in this regard. I think often the, the reason our spiritual ears are plugged 
is because we just keep shooting ourselves in the foot in this area. We're our own worst enemies. Who needs a devil when you got yourself? <laughs> and I think that the two major reasons many of us are not hearing and therefore not receiving what God wants to speak over our lives, here they are. It is the lie of disqualification and the life of distraction. Let me say that again. The major reason so many have a difficult time hearing God and therefore receiving what he's speaking is because of the lie of disqualification. I'm disqualified. I, it's not, or the life of distraction. Let, let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to our text. Genesis, once again, chapter one, verse two. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, notice the two underlined words at the beginning of this scripture. The earth was formless and it was empty. Formless and empty. Those two words in the Hebrew, uh, they rhyme. This is like poetry. In, in the Hebrew, they are the words to'u and bo'u. The earth was to'u and bo'u. The first one, to'u, which is where we get the word formless, it means confusion, unordered, wasteland. The earth, before God spoke, was a confused, unordered wasteland. It, it had nothing to offer. It was hopeless. It was lifeless. It was useless. If God had brought you alongside and said, hey, what do you think we could do with this vast expanse of nothingness? You would probably have answered by saying, nothing good can come from this. But you know what that tells me? That tells me that when we think nothing can good, good can come from a situation, that God still has the ability to speak hope into it. There is no situation too hopeless for the word of God. That thing that you feel about disqualification, it is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no situation too hopeless for God's word. When you survey a life and you say, gosh, there's no way God can do anything with this. There's no way God can do anything with me. I'm divorced, I'm broke, our pets' heads are falling off. I, I've got nothing to offer. I've failed again. The, the, the diagnosis is final. The divorce, this is the third time. I got nothing to bring to God. He looks at that environment. He said, that is a perfect place for me to speak my word into. That is an environment that is ripe for my declaration. I can bring life into a lifeless place. I can bring life. It reminds me of that, that story we, we discussed in the second week of this series about Jairus. When he comes to Jesus and he's begging Jesus to come to his house because his daughter's sick and she's nearing death's doorstep. He says, please come to my house and pray for my daughter so that she can live. But then Jesus shows up on the scene and when, when he arrives, there's mourners outside because the girl has already passed away. But what does Jesus say? He looks at the mourners and he says, why are you crying? This girl is not dead. 
She is only sleeping. And he walks into the bedroom of a dead 12-year-old and with one word, he takes that which was dead and he brings it back to life. Come on, you serve a God today that does not look at your situation and say, well, it's dead, I can't do anything with it. No, he looks at that situation and says, it's only sleeping, I got a word that can awaken that situation once again. One word from his mouth can take a formless, useless wasteland of a life. So I can do something with that. The earth was formless until he spoke and then everything changed. It was total. But the second word here in the Hebrew is the one I want to I spend the remainder of our time on together. It's the word bo'u and it's where we get the word empty. In the original language, it means void or uninhabited. Maybe your translation said the earth was formless and void. But, but I rather like the second word, uninhabited. Nothing else was present. When God spoke into the environment of creation, it was not crowded out with other things. There wasn't anything in place that would keep creation from hearing the word of God. He said, I need an uninhabited empty, blank canvas to work with. Which brings me back to the title of our conversation today. Just give me some space. I wonder if the reason that many of us have a difficult time hearing and therefore receiving God's word is because we just don't have any space for it in our lives. We just have a crowded, already inhabited life. There's no vacancy for God, no room for him to speak. You know, we live in a, a culture, especially here in the Bay Area, that does not like empty space. We like to fill empty space. Because empty space is it's not enjoyable, it's awkward. Like, like, like if I said, hey, for the next 15 seconds, I'm not gonna say anything, we're just gonna look at each other. That would be awkward, right? You don't believe me, let's prove it. I didn't even make it 15 seconds because I can feel the awkwardness in the room. You're like, please just say something for the love of God. My palms are sweaty. My knees are weak. Like I, so many song quotes today. Do you hear those? They're just nineties. It's all in my head, man. Yeah. We don't like empty space. We try to fill it. You got an empty calendar. I'm going to fill it with busyness. I got to find stuff to do. Got an empty house. I'm trying to sell. We got to fill it with furniture. Let's stage this thing. Empty airspace, let's fill it with sound. Turn on the news in the background. Someone's got to talk. Or uh, if you're like me, you've got speakers in every single room of your house so that music can play. Like, I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. Ew, gross. Got to fill it with space. We, we, don't, we don't like space at all so much that, honestly, most of us don't know how to be alone for five minutes without some form of distraction. Do you know that right now, statistically, every four minutes, people pick up their phones and they just start scrolling? If you're under the age of 25, it's probably far more frequent than that, but they run an aggregate, so it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. But <laughs> four minutes. We can't even make it four minutes without going to a distraction. You can't even go to the bathroom without bringing your phone in there. I know how you are. I know that's, like, that's really awkward to say from a stage, but it's true. I don't know how to sit in the bathroom by ourselves. Sorry, that's awkward. That's weird. Think about that next time someone goes to shake your hand and they've been using their phone beforehand. You're like, nah, I'm good. It's going for a hug, all right? Yeah, that's great. If you ever wonder why I hug people instead of shaking hands around here, there it is, right there. 
When we are faced with space, we love to fill it with stuff. But what we don't realize is that when we are obsessing over filling every empty space, we are crowding out the word of God. We are keeping our ears from hearing what the spirit of God is saying to you, to the church. He needs empty space. He needs uninhabited space to speak. And if you were here last weekend at this service, I think we were reminded of that reality. Uh, if you weren't here, we had a bit of an odd 11 o'clock service last week. It started off with a fire alarm, same way we start out most services here at the Father's house. It's great. Uh, but it went off and we couldn't figure out how to get it to stop for about 15 minutes. And so after we were finally able to silence it, uh, God bless Kara, she got up here and she was trying to lead us in worship. And everyone's like, okay, are, are we sure we're okay? Is that a smoke machine or is that real smoke? I don't know. And so we finally got into things and we're worshiping. And, and again, I, I canceled all of the service hosting announcements. I'm like, we don't have time. We're just going to go right into the word, which is why we adjusted the service format today. I'm like, I really like this. Let's just keep that. But just the whole service, I felt like, come on, we got to clock through. We got to get through. We got to get through because, you know, we're on a rental agreement here. We got to be out by a certain amount of time. And ironically, we had a safety training right after service last week to figure out what to do with a fire drill. And it, it was just, we had to clock through everything. It felt quick and rushed and crowded. But then we got to the end of the service. And if you were here, you remember this moment. I'm up on stage and the band's up here and I'm praying over the room. And as I was praying, I just, I felt the Holy Spirit nudge and just whisper something like, hey, can you just stop for a moment? Just shut up. Okay. <laughs> just, will you leave a little bit of space for me to speak today? And in uncharacteristic fashion, I, I, I just said, hey, we're gonna take a couple moments and we're just gonna listen. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? I took the mic and put it behind my back and we just sat there and listened. And, and as we did, about a minute in, my good friend Stan sitting there in the third row who operates in the gift of prophecy, he stood up and he began to share the word of the Lord with this room, to speak out a prophetic word over the room. And it was simple, but it was powerful. He began to say, the Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I gave everything to be with you. And now I'm asking, will you give everything to me in return? I gave it all. Will you give it all to me? Surrender all to me. And as he was sharing, you could just sense the wave of brokenness hit this room. I got a cool vantage point because I can see it from up here and someone over here starts crying and someone over there starts crying. You just see this wave of God moving in a room. And by the time we got to the end and I asked that question I ask every single week, is there anyone here who needs to make a decision to follow Jesus? 15, 20 hands go up. People are coming, running after Jesus. It was a powerful moment. Why? Because we gave him space. What I didn't know, Stan shared with me later, and I think I mentioned this on Tuesday night at Pursuit. He said, Tim, I, God had given me that word earlier and I was pretty clear with the Lord. I said, God, I'm not gonna just stand up and interrupt the service in the middle of things and just start screaming during the message, to which I said, thank you for not doing that. Uh, we don't approve of that around here. There's a reason we have security, okay? If you stand up and start screaming, we will tackle you. It's gonna be great. Be warned. But... He said, I told the Lord, if you want me to share this, you're going to need to, ready? Give me some space. I, I need a window here. And so he said, when you stopped and you said, hey, let's just listen to see what the Holy Spirit is speaking. 
In that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, okay, I gave you the space. Now, let's speak what I'm speaking. You must give him some space. Now, listen, I love the gift of prophecy. I love how the gifts of the Spirit can stir up faith in a room. I am a 1 Corinthians 12 and a 1 Corinthians 14 Christian. It says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially that you might prophesy. But 14 says, don't be a weirdo, my paraphrase. Make it, make it easy for people who are coming to Jesus inside your gathering. It's more important that they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus than everybody gets an opportunity to operate in their gifts. So let's make sure it's done with decency and order. I'm all about that. But here's what I know. God is not just interested in speaking with you in the rare interruption of a Sunday morning service through prophecy. God wants to talk to you daily, many times a day, on the regular. He wants to speak to you a word that is specific to your situation. He wants to speak a word to you about that anxiety and that fear that you're facing so that he can quell it with his peace. He wants to address that brokenness that keeps you from fully loving him. He has something to say, but you gotta give him some space. You gotta leave some margin, some vacancy in your life for him to speak. And so let me do what we do every single week around here. Personalize this text and ask you that confronting question that I want you to wrestle with. Have you given God any space to speak? Have you honestly given God any space to speak? Is there any uninhabited areas of your life does he have room? It's interesting, we're, we're talking about the Christmas story. I mean, this is processing in real time, off the notes here. <laughs> what happened? There was no room for Jesus. He had to find a space, even at his entry to the world. Does your life have any cradles, any vacancy for him to speak? And lest I be accused of ambiguity, let me be very clear about what I'm saying. Let's start with perhaps the most obvious one. The word of God. This is, this is how God speaks. Do you have space in your life? Have you created an uninterrupted rhythm of fierce devotion to the written word of God in your life? Is this your daily bread? Is it something you cannot survive without? Because, listen, yes, God can talk to you in a myriad of different ways, but the primary way God speaks to his people is through his written word. It is through the scriptures. Do you got this in your life? I'm, I'm already made one bold statement. Let's make another one today. How about this? I don't believe it is possible for you to hear what God is saying until you first read what he said. Oh, I did, They responded much better to that at nine o'clock. Let's try this again. I don't believe that you can hear what God is speaking to you right now until you've read what he's already said. Okay, that feels a little bit better. This is his dialect. This is his native tongue. You wanna know what God sounds like? It's right here. This is how he speaks. He always speaks in alignment with and according to his written word. This is how he talks. And if what we're suggesting today is true, that the word of God, the entry of the word of God brings transformation, that this is how he creates things, then you will never see until you hear. 
You will never see what he wants to produce in your life until you hear what he's already said. You want to see healing, you got to hear what he said about healing. You want to see provision, you got to do what he says about provision. You want to see peace, you got to hear what he says about peace. That's why the writer of Romans chapter 10 says, how will they believe unless they first hear? He only speaks in alignment with and according to this word. Do you have this in your life? But it doesn't end with scripture. There's a lot of ways God talks. There's a lot of ways his word enters your life. How about prayer? I know these are basics. Bible reading and prayer. Really, Tim? That's what you got for us in December. Come on. You're running out of content. Hey, if we all did it, I wouldn't have to talk about it. Do you pray? Like, do you have a regular rhythm of prayer in your life where the notifications are silenced? Come on, somebody. The kids are silenced. <laughs> where nothing else can interrupt, and it's just you and God talking. Or, or how about this? Even when you're praying, does he have space there? Do you have space to listen? Or like so many of us, do you fill all of your prayer time with all your talking and all your needs, but never leaving space saying, God, what are you saying right now? What are you speaking to me right now? As you survey the landscape of your life, does he have any room to speak? And before you feel guilty, you're like, man, no, I'm a plebeian. I'm a horrible person. Take my phone in the bathroom. I got nothing to offer God. Let me encourage you a little bit, all right? You're here. You dedicated an hour and 15 minutes of your Sunday morning to be with Jesus. Why? To hear what he's saying to you. You have positioned yourself for God to speak. If you were here on Tuesday night at Pursuit, you took an hour out of a Tuesday night and said, God, I'm giving you some space to speak. Yes, you have positioned yourself to hear. And rest assured that God sees you sitting in here and he does have something he wants to say to you. I believe there's a Psalm 73 moment for some people in the room today where things look confusing, but it says, and then I came into the house of the Lord and everything made sense. God speaks to me about my situation. Yes, he wants to speak with you. But listen, even here, you gotta be careful because this can become a crowded space. Even here, we gotta be careful to ensure that there's some uninhabited airspace. Do not let the text message from the person three rows back saying, I don't believe what that guy's saying right now. Or the incessant need to scroll. Do not let that keep you from what God wants to speak to you. Do not be like, oh, I gotta be the first person out there to get the donuts today. They weren't there last week when I showed up, so I gotta get some donuts today. I know how the parking lot gets after this. I gotta get out, I don't wanna sit in the traffic. Hey, and you're rushing out, maybe you need to give God some space. Come down, receive prayer. I can tell you that there are moments I can trace back in my life where I came forward to receive prayer from somebody and they said, this is what I believe God is speaking over you right now. And they were transformative, catalytic moments in my life. Even in this space, is there some distraction-free moments. And I don't mean we're quarantining the kids to another room. I mean, in your airspace, have you given God space to speak? Because listen, he has something to say. He has a word for your situation. In fact, let me make one more bold statement before we conclude. Not only does he have something to say, I believe that he is literally waiting on standby to speak to some of us. 
He's like, come on, just give me some space. Give me a moment. I got something to say to you. I love the way that Genesis records creation. The writer, some believe Moses, others believe of someone else, but I love how it says that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters before God spoke. He was literally waiting for the word of God to unleash. Come on, God, just say something and I'm gonna create. I believe that the same way the spirit of God was hovering over the waters at the beginning of time, he is hovering over the lives of some individuals in this room today. And he's like, I have something to say. If you will let me, if you will give me some airspace, I will speak a word. And remind you, when I speak a word, some things are going to shift. Some things are going to change. Your reality is going to be transformed. Will you just let me speak? I got something to say about that sickness. I wanna take your sickness and turn it into healing. I wanna take your mourning and turn it into joy. I wanna take your lack and turn it into provision. I wanna take your shame and turn it into forgiveness. I wanna take your life and turn it into something great. I have something to say. The whole universe was formed at my command. One word and that which was formless took form. I have all power, I can do all things, and one word from my mouth will turn you upside down. But you gotta give me space. You got to let me speak. So here's our application. I'm out of time. Worship team, you guys can come. If this series is going to last beyond the 24 weeks of this year, if we're gonna be people that live by faith, we're gonna need to make a fierce commitment to giving God more than just an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. Why? Because it says in the scriptures, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have no faith apart from hearing his voice. And I can think of no more appropriate way to conclude the longest series we've ever done than to say this. Let's be people from now on that give God some space. That leaves some vacancy for him to speak. Because that which he wants to form in our city that which he wants to form in your life, it's attached to his word. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.